Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Damon Can, political science professor at Utah State University and outgoing mayor of North Logan, Rosie Nguyen, a broadcast journalist, and Frank Pignanelli, political commentator and lobbyist with Foxley and Pignanelli. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. I wanna to jump right into some very fascinating polls. I'll tell you what, what politicians love to see is do people love them? <laughs> or in the alternative, how much do they not like them? And so it's something we always try to monitor. What are their favorables? What are their unfavorables? And we have some great new polling results Hinkley Institute of Politics did with the Desert News. And I wanna jump into a couple of those really quickly. And let's start with you, Frank. Uh, the first one is on our governor, Governor Cox. We're ending the first year in office for him. Wanna see how his approvals are doing. And of Utahns, he has 60% approval, 24% disapproval, 16% don't know. Give us your read of that particular number at this period of time. Well, what it shows is that people like his demeanor. I think what they see back in Washington and they see a, a very uh, solid governor, he's nice to everybody. What was interesting too is the Democrats are split on him also. So he has pretty much across the board support other than perhaps people on the right and left on the extremes of that. So what, what it demonstrates his ability to connect is really carrying him far Mm -hmm. And it will be interesting to see if that's able to accomplish the programs he wants in the next legislative session. Uh -huh. uh, Damon, go back to kind of your research and your, your following of governors over the past uh, few <laughs> years. Is this sort of a, a steady state? This is kind of where a, a Republican governor in Utah kind of just finds the sweet spot? Uh, or, is, or what do you see kind of coming for this next couple of months to this next year? Because there are big issues coming forward. Absolutely. Uh, it's definitely, as Frank was saying, great to go into this upcoming legislative session uh, for the governor with such strong approval ratings. Uh, if you compare with governors around the country, you'd find that Governor Cox is actually faring very well and one of the more popular governors uh, around the United States today, which is a, a great footing for him. Uh, the, uh, of, of course, Utah we tend to love our governors. Uh, we um, and 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 I think the most impressive part of this for Governor Cox is showing strong ratings both among Republicans and Democrats alike. Want to compare and contrast this a little bit to another question we asked, which was how Utahns feel about President Biden. Rosie, I want to talk about this question with you because I know you're talking to lots of Utahns all around the state. And let me give you this number and compare this to what you're hearing from people as well. Uh, it's, it's a pretty low number. 32% uh, of Utahns approve of the job President Biden is doing, 63% disapprove. Break that down a little bit as to what, what's happening that's at the heart of these disapproval numbers, which are just so high. I think there's a couple points there, Jason. Uh, number one, we know that Biden, first of all, did not win in Utah. Second of all, just look at the past year. All of the issues that we've had come at the forefront were so polarizing. COVID-19, right, especially the vaccine mandate. Right now we're talking about uh, the federal mandate that just came down. We had civil unrest, right? We talked about equity and police brutality. That was a big contention as well. Um, even abortions kind of come back back to the forefront. These are issues that are very polarized. So sometimes the Utahns that I've talked to, they wonder, 
is it possible for a president in this seat, whether it's Biden, whether it would have been President Trump again, to get high approval ratings with such a tumultuous year in politics? This is interesting, Frank, uh, on the Democratic side because it's a low number, but this is this is even low for Utah standards for a Repu for a Democrat. Well, it's low. It, 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 what's interesting, it does match about what statewide candidates, for Democratic candidates, get. It's yeah. around that 30, 32 percent. So, he's clearly he's got the, his base in Utah supporting him. That's about it. But part of it is the messaging that's coming out. Whether I mean, when we talk about the big bills that passed in Congress, not passed in Congress, we don't define them by what they're accomplished. We define them by the amount of money. There's the trillion dollar bill. There's the five trillion dollar bill, and that really aggravates Utahns. And of course, the messaging around Afghanistan and some of the other. Things it should be no surprise that a state that's red would have objections to way President Biden, who's one of the nicest guys in the world, but he's, his messaging is not really complete for what uh, Utahns want to hear. Uh, Damon, compare this with with what's happening nationally for the president, because I'm curious what you see coming in these 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 this next election cycle and even four years when the president is carrying a, a low approval number in Utah, but also a big disapproval number uh, nationwide. That's 42. Per 0.8% nationwide. Yeah, I think the, the simplest answer to why Biden's numbers as low as, are as low as they are in Utah is because they're low nationally uh, and across the country, uh, 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 citizens are, are, are not reacting in the most favorable ways to President Biden. Uh, and that certainly has implications for his long-term hopes and ambitions. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting, there's, there's a lot of talk about 2024. A couple weeks ago, President Biden announced that he did intend to run in 2024. And yet nationally, there's still a lot of conversations going on about whether people would rather see Kamala Harris nominated or Pete Buttigieg or, or whoever else. Uh, and, and the president has to be sitting there at some point saying, what am I, chopped liver? I told you I'm running. Why are we still talking about others that might chime in in 2024? That's not a good sign uh, for where President Biden's at nationally as well as his struggles here in Utah. Well, when we start talking about who might be coming, uh, we've got to talk about what some Republicans are wondering about is whether or not we'll see Donald Trump back on the ballot for the Republicans. And so, of course, we asked this question in our poll, Frank, and I want to get your take on this too. Uh, very interesting for Utah. It's a split on the favorability of President, uh, former President Trump. 48% of Utahns have a favorable impression. 48% of them have an unfavorable impression. And it really should not be any surprise because, as you know, when he first ran in 2016, did he didn't he did it, he won the state but barely, and we had of course Evan McMullen who got over 20 percent, and Trump's personality, the way his demeanor, people may like his policies, but it's the it's his personality that aggravates a lot of the Utahns, but, and I know you may get to this. But most of those Republicans are going to vote for him. And part of it is this, in my opinion, is that is that you have this antithesis towards Biden and the Democrats. And the only person that's really articulating standing up to Biden, standing up to Congress is Trump. So I think you have Utah say we may not like his personality, but he's the person. He's he's the anti-Biden because you have a group of Republican senators and governors thinking about running. But they're not the face of the opposition to Biden. They're not the face of the opposition to the $5 trillion mm -hmm. package or whatever it is. It is Donald Trump. 
So although Utahns may have a hard time with his personality, they view him as somebody that can correct the mischief of the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Rosie, as you're interviewing people in your in your reporter hat, is, are they making that distinction? Is it, I'm, I'm, I'm supporting now, or at least 48% of them are saying they're, they're, they're supporting now because they like those policies. They're able to maybe not, not get into these items that Frank was just talking about, the, th the items of personality, for example. You know what's interesting, Jason, is some of the Utahns that I've talked to, they're not necessarily voting for someone whose policies they agree with, but they're voting against the person whose policies they don't agree with. So that was one interesting trend that I'm yeah. noticing, why some people will still continue to vote for Trump, despite the fact that they may not like his pre presentation, uh, what he said, but because they just don't want to vote for the other, right, big choice uh, option, which is Biden. So I thought that was one thing that I took away when I was talking to a few Utahns about, like, you know, are you voting for Trump? If so, why, even though you felt this certain way about him? Hmm. Uh, Damon, talk about that for just a minute, because, uh, you know, Frank just brought up Evan McMullen, for example, in that, that 2016 election. He got 21 percent of the vote. I mean, is, is, are we going to see a repeat of something like that? Not him necessarily, but this idea that Rosie was just really going at, that sometimes it's a vote against as, a, as opposed to a vote for. Are we, are, if, he, if President Trump, former President Trump, is on the ballot again, are we going to see that again? Uh, just kind of give us a historical perspective of that and what you see might be coming. Absolutely. You know, as Rosie put it really well, uh, uh, fear and anger are powerful motivators for getting people to vote uh, and to getting people to vote in a particular way. And so I do think, you know, you know we're, we've seen historic highs of voting against a candidate rather than voting for a candidate when we've asked questions about that in surveys uh, in 2016 and, and to some extent in 2020. And so I, I think that speaks to uh, the, um, the the importance of, of the parties trying harder to find candidates who can articulate positive visions for what they want to do, rather than just saying, "Well, hey, I'm not as bad as you know, some other mm -hmm. particular candidate who's out there." And and I think that that a party that figures out how to do that better, uh, and 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 in a lot of ways. Um, uh, that's, I think, what Evan McMullen was trying to do uh, during the 2016 election. Uh, I think parties that tend to do that better will do a better job in the presidential elections. Mm -hmm. uh, Rosie, I want to talk about the next question we asked, which is connected to the favorabilities of former President Trump. We, we decided to ask if, if President Trump was the nominee, would you vote for him? And it was just very interesting numbers. And I want to give them to you if so you can break them down for a little bit. 24% of Utahns said they would definitely vote for the president if it was President Trump was on the ballot. 26% said they would consider voting for him. That's 50% of Utahns said if he was on the ballot, they would either consider or would vote for him. That is very interesting. So it's split again, right? So we've got 46% who said I would not vote for him, nearly 50% that said that they would definitely or consider voting for him. Um, I think it goes back to how polarized not just the issues um, that we've been discussing in our state, in our country is, but the fact is uh, people, and the thing is with, with Utah is, um, I'm surprised that a lot of Republicans and Democrats, they actually lean pretty moderate. And it comes down to these issues um, as well. And, and I think that at the end of the day, too, um, a lot of Utahns do vote along party lines. We like to keep that Republican majority in our state, even if that means that some of them may not 
fully support President Trump, but if he is a Republican nominee, they're going to stick to party lines mm. and still vote for him. Mm. I want to get to this divisiveness issue and how polarized we may be. Uh, Frank, of course, we have to ask you about that. Uh, if you break down those numbers we just gave, it's interesting. Uh, Seventy-three percent, you take those behind the numbers, among Republicans, 73 percent of Republicans said they would consider or would vote for President Trump if he was on the ballot. Talk about this this polarization. And uh, I, I think you have a column coming this weekend, in fact, uh, that may talk about this issue a little bit. And, and, and I don't get this context for this, too. Uh, are, are we that different here in the state of Utah? Or how different are we, like, from Democrats or Republicans from maybe the rest of the country? Well, it's interesting. And as, as you know, when I was growing up, the statement was a Utah Democrat as it would be Republican anywhere else. But that's proven to be a canard because the Pew Foundation did a national study and said the Republicans have shifted a little bit to the right, but the Democrats have really shifted left. And the Utah Foundation, a very renowned research institute, said the same thing. Utah Democrats have really shifted to the left. And so I think you're, you're seeing that appear more and more, both in the polling and the election results. And so in Utah, if you're, if you're a Democrat, if you're running for a congressional office or a, uh, or a statewide office, you have to win your base but you need a chunk of the undecided or the unaffiliated, and you need a slice of Republicans. But if you're answerable to the far left, putting that formula together becomes increasingly difficult, which is why, as I say, Jim Matheson was the most successful Democrat in the century, because he could do that, but it's become increasingly harder as the, the party shifts left. So that leads to polarization or just an inability to uh, appeal across the political spectrum. Mm -hmm. David, do you have a comment? I just think, you know, I, I think back to when, uh, to illustrate Frank's point, uh, when Claudia Wright, uh, a, a librarian with no previous elective experience, challenged Jim Matheson and forced him out of convention into a primary, which was reasonably contested uh, for an incumbent, uh, successful uh, politician like Jim Matheson to face that uh, uh, kind of a challenge uh, from that kind of a challenger, I think really illustrates the direction that uh, um, uh, that the Democratic Party in Utah has gone, and the challenge they face between satisfying the base mm -hmm. versus uh, uh, versus uh, putting up candidates who can appeal uh, to and, and pick off a slice of Republicans, enabling them to win an election. Mm -hmm. As we start talking about these next elections, uh, I, I think we have to start talking about budget a little bit too, because one of the ways you start working on your election is by establishing some priorities up front, what you're going to push for and try to get people to support you that way. And uh, Rosie, I want to talk about this with you for just a moment too, particularly uh, the, the numbers for the state of Utah look amazing. And we saw, we saw this from the legislature this week, about 930 million additional dollars on top of $1.2 billion the state has in reserve. Uh, that's a pretty good amount of money. I know when Frank was in office, he would have loved to have had all of that, which we'll talk about. Um, but, but the governor uh, released his budget uh, this, this week, and sometimes you see what people care about most by what they prioritize with the budget. Give us a couple key takeaways from this, this $25 billion budget the governor proposed. Right, so we're seeing a record, well, at least Cox is calling it a record investment, nearly $1 billion in just spending on education. And I think that that's a big win, especially given all that our educators, our school administrators have been through during the past year with the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Um, one thing that stood out to me, $160 million grocery tax credit for low and moderate income families, uh, affordable housing, which has been a big topic in Utah because we're seeing all of these uh, buildings go up, you know, my neighborhood on the west side of Salt Lake City, it's being gentrified, 
uh, grocery stores, banks, where I used to go, and now all apartment buildings, uh, our unsheltered issues in Utah have been um, a big topic of contention. How are we going to help these individuals get into affordable housing? So that's $228 million. Um, and then as well, $105 million for uh, pay increases for state employees. Well, so a lot of a lot of spending, a lot of priorities, uh, kind of at the forefront here, Frank. Uh, let's hit a couple of these that I think are interesting. This this uh, grocery mm -hmm. tax credit is interesting because you've been through this a couple times. We, we see this a lot over the years. So it was a do we get rid of the sales tax on food or this is a different way to approach it? Well, I it. think what you're seeing is the ghost of the initiative of a couple years ago, where that was a truly a grassroots initiative organically to because when there was a proposal to restore the sales to completely restore their sales tax on food you had really people across the state and they got enough signatures so all of a sudden now you to their credit they're responding you have the governor you have republican legislators and democratic legislators they all have some proposal to somehow either take off that the rest of the sales tax on food or, or somehow make it easier for people to pay it or getting a credit for it but that tells you the power of that initiative that they're thinking about that. Yeah, Damon, talk about that for a moment because it's very interesting. It's uh, maybe the same impact, the same effect, but a very different strategy. Does this, does this one get to the people? Do they say, okay, this is one we're with, or at least the legislature? Uh, I, I think there's no way around the legislature trying to take some sort of action on this issue uh, because uh, the people uh, spoke and, and the initiative concept was very popular. And look, we know the signatures are there to avoid increasing sales tax on food. Uh, so now we have a chance for our electeds to come in and, and say, uh, you know, what, what should we do, if anything, to adjust and maybe decrease or ease the burden of those taxes a little bit. But uh, uh, one piece that, that I haven't seen discussed a lot in here is, is we look at trade-offs between, uh, you know, having a broad base and more people are taxed more things. Groceries are a great way to have a, a broad base. Uh, but uh, as yet, I haven't seen a piece surface in the discussion where local communities, uh, 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 1% of the sales tax on food uh, is a local option sales tax. And if that got lifted, we would, in essence, be defunding our cities and towns across the state of Utah. That would pose some significant issues. But uh, um, I think there's going to be a lot of robust discussion about whether it's credits or reductions or elimination of various portions of that tax in the upcoming session. Mm -hmm. uh, really quickly on the governor's budget, and then I want to get to what the legislature is going to do with that budget. Uh, but Frank, uh, go back to your days with the legislature. This is a 5% WPU increase. That's significant. It's pretty big. In fact, the whole budget, which to me, it's interesting. Now, we have to keep in mind, this is Spencer Cox's first budget. The other one was a holder from the Herbert. So this, everything else he does for the next four or eight or 12, well, how many years, will be judged by what he did this first year. And so he has to go big. And so he's going big, both with education, with the, with the funding and things like that. So he has some dynamics there. Number one, he wants to make sure that people understand what's, what he's doing. Secondly, the choice of the Great Salt Lake. Every Utah, whether they're in elementary school or they're 90 years old, knows about the Great Salt Lake and they know it's in trouble. So I think he's setting himself up being, I think I can help solve this. But there's also, if you look at his programs, there's a lot of water programs, things like that. There's a little bit of fear. We don't like talking about it. We're worried, worried about the environment, worried about the water, and he's he's plugging into that. So that that's so he wanted to do a big project project budget, but he also wanted to do make sure that the scenery around it was saying, I understand, yeah. and I'm here to help. So interesting. I want to get to that for a second, too, with, with Rosie. For, for our viewers, that WPU is the weighted uh, pupil unit, which is how they're going to fund education. So interesting. And it's interesting he was 
was talking about that while he's sitting on the banks of the Great Salt Lake, uh, Rosie. I mean, you had the visual there for sure, but this is uh, like talking about the environment, uh, water quality and things like that. That is not something you always saw from Republican governors, uh, at least in talking but about. But you have to think, our situation right now is so dire. I mean, the drought, the Great Salt Lake, um, just, just you going there and seeing like how, how, how just, depressing it is. Um, it's something that's, uh, I think, accelerated as far as the urgency has, has uh, happened in, in just the past year. I mean, our first snowstorm didn't even come until today, right? The, the snow, so yes, so environment, water, conservancy, drought, I felt like has, out of nowhere, like overnight, has become like one of the core issues in our state. Yeah, uh, Damon, so we talk a lot about the governor's budget, which we have here as well. He's required to produce one by the Constitution. Uh, the response from our legislature, because ultimately it's their call. Yes, uh, I know one of the things I think Governor Cox has worked very uh, hard on and effectively on is building a strong relationship and partnership with the legislature. So uh, the, the typical tradition is that the governor uh, proposes a budget uh, and, and maybe even has a press conference of the sort, uh, probably you know, the, the location was unique, but of the sort that Governor Cox uh, did. And then legislative leaders promptly set it on the shelf and go about doing whatever it is that they actually want to do. Uh, but I think uh, Governor Cox is, is uh, flexing a little bit and showing some strong leadership here. Uh, and I think on questions like water and education, it will be very difficult for the legislature to not pick up some of those proposals and include them in the discussions that go forward. So I, I think this budget gets more serious consideration uh, from the legislature than the typical uh, governor's proposal. If I could throw something, what's, what's happened? 15 years ago, the Clean Air Caucus was Representative Aaron and a couple of Democrats. It is all Republicans and, and Democrats now. And you hear a lot about clean air from Republicans, a lot about the concern about the water. One of the things you're going to see in this next legislative session, you've got some Republican lawmakers that have some creative ideas on water, whether it's Utah County, Great Salt Lake. In fact, my understanding is that the speaker is going to have something about the Great Salt Lake in the early part of next year. So you're going to see, yes, Governor Cox, thank you very much, but also you're going to see we've got our own solutions that we've been working on too. We just don't get as much media about it. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic that plays out. As a matter of fact, right after the governor's budget address, uh, the president of the Senate, uh, Stuart Adams, sent out a notice saying thank you very much, we're also working on things. So I, I think that the, the, the end is going to be great, but you're going to have different dynamics happening because they're going to have different ways to approach the solution to these problems. Yeah. Uh, absolutely right. I want to talk about another dynamic that's so interesting that came out of the legislature meeting this, this week, D Damon. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about election security, potential election fraud. I find this to be so interesting what our legislature did. They have the power to uh, authorize an audit. You do a, a legislature legislative audit. They prioritize certain things that they will take a hard look at. And, and this week, the, our legislature um, approved an audit, what they called uh, election integrity. Uh, talk about what that, what that is a little bit and a little bit about uh, the, the person who pushing this, Majority Leader Mike Schultz, who really said, we're going to do this. This is not about uh, Donald Trump. This is not about that last election. In fact, that's what he said. Donald Trump won. This is not about 2020. This is about process and systems. That's what our legislature said this week as they get ready to launch this audit. Gotcha. I, I think the, the the claim that it's not about 2020 or those kinds of things is, is a little bit difficult for me to accept, simply because prior to the 2020 election, we weren't seeing people raising fundamental claims uh, about the integrity of our election processes. 
Uh, if anything, Utah has received accolades nationally for being a leader in the quality of election administration. Uh, and so um, I, I'm, I'm not sure I can accept uh, on face the claim that this has nothing to do with 2020. Uh, now, that said, there's always places where we can find ways to improve and do better and see things uh, um, uh, through to better processes. And that's what uh, exactly what Utah's election administration uh, group, beginning with the lieutenant governor and on down through through a, a, our current as well as former lieutenant governors, have done. Uh, but uh, the notion that somehow there's fundamental underlying errors or gaps in the process just isn't supported uh, by, uh, by what we already know about our election processes in Utah. Well, uh, Frank, I know who agrees with Damon. It's the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Deidre Henderson. And I want to I want to read what she said, because it was a quick response that she gave to this audit being called. She said, I am very concerned about any lawmaker who signs on to these notions that where there is no evidence and these are baseless allegations and they're deliberately making them in order to undermine public trust and faith in the foundation of our democratic republic. They're doing it not to solve problems, but to score political points. To me, that's reprehensible, and that is what I'm concerned about. Strong statement uh, needed to be said, but the purpose of the show is not just to complain, it's to explain. And <laughs> this, is, this is my thought process yes. on this. These people who are claiming that there, there was fraud in the election or fraud or there's problems in the Utah elections, they're out there. They're constantly out there. They're talking to these lawmakers. Most Utahns accept that they, they know that we have, we're the gold standard of elections, but they're not talking to their lawmakers for the most part. These are activists. So we have lawmakers, they've got an election coming up. They're going to deal with these people and the delegates in the conventions. They're going to deal with them in the primary. So it's like easy to do an audit because it's like, we'll get the audit. We know what the audit's going to come back. Might be a couple tweaks. So you have that dynamic of they're responding to this and pressure that they're getting from these. They're going door to door for heaven's sake in some places. So they, they have to respond to that. The, the, the lieutenant governor is right, but you have lawmakers doing it. The other thing is, and I'm just going to say this, okay, Americans and Utahns, we love our conspiracy theories. Right now it's voter fraud. You know, 52% of Democrats thought that the Clinton's election was stolen by Donald Trump. You go back to, when I was in the legislature, we spent three days debating whether lunch ladies were part of the grand conspiracy of the New World Order. A hundred years ago it was the Mason Masonic Lodges are taking over. This is just another dynamic of that, and we'll get through that because the auto will come back and say everything's fine. But that, that just that's just what it is. And so to me, what the legislature is doing, they're responding to pressure they're getting from their neighborhoods. All right, that's gonna have to be the last comment. That's some serious stuff today we've <laughs> talked about. Thank, thank you for your great insight. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.